0: John 14, we're going to be starting in verse 12. So it goes like this. Truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even, in, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for your, um, just this opportunity to preach your word. Um, Father, I pray that you will move in this place this morning. I pray that you open up our eyes to see you, to see your glory, and to see what it looks like for us to obey you as disciples of Jesus. And, Father, again, just pray that you'll move, you'll open up our hearts and our minds to see this in a fresh light. A lot of this stuff uh, is nothing creative, nothing just brand new, but it is what you have shown us in your word, and that's what matters. So, Father, please just help us see these things. I pray all these things in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so like I said, Gabe preached on the, the paragraph above this last week, and that was on Believe. Paragraph for that, starting in verse 1 of chapter 14 focused on no right so Jesus is talking to the disciples trying to comfort them because they're very anxious and very nervous because Jesus is about to go and die on the cross and he's preparing them for this so as Jesus is saying so he's continuing the thought right of believing in him when he says truly truly I say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do so believing must come first before we then go obey right you have to believe in Jesus you have to know him to then obey Right and if you do believe in him you have to know him right cuz belief if you have belief you have to believe in something right you can't believe in nothing that doesn't there's no that doesn't make sense right so naturally you then have to know him you have to know something to believe in to then obey and do the works that Jesus does so that it continues in this verse and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father so not only will we do the works that Jesus does, but we're going to do greater works than, than Him because He went to the Father, because He went to the cross to die, on, to die on the cross for our sin, to make a way for us to be with God. Because of that, that will then enable us to do greater works than what He did. So many of you are probably wondering, just as I did, what is greater works? Like, what do you mean greater works? Um, that doesn't mean more spectacular. So does it doesn't mean greater works as in this is going to be more like, more grand than what Jesus did, right? That's not what he's getting at. Because if it was, if that's, if that's what we take from that, then it would be like all of us coming together as disciples and saying, all right, Jesus said more spectacular works. What can we do that was better than what Jesus did? Raise somebody from the dead. No, no, Jesus already did that. Um, we could heal a blind guy so he can see. Nope, no, nope, Jesus did that too. Um, make a guy a walk. Nope, he did that. Walk on water. Peter, where are you at? Um, wait, no, that already happened too. Crap, what do we do, right? So what does that mean? So I have four things of what I believe that means and what I see in Scripture. So g- g- the first one is geographically, right? So geographically speaking, Jesus in his earthly ministry here, he was only in Jerusalem and that surrounding area of the world, right? So if you take a whole map of the world, he was on a little spot compared to the rest of it, right? So Jesus didn't go to Europe. He didn't go to uh, Rome, he didn't go to Asia, he didn't go to North America, South America, right? world's a pretty big place. He didn't go there. But because he went to the Father, it enables his disciples to then go out to the world, right? That is what he commanded us in Matthew 28, to go to the nations, right? Make disciples of all nations. So the first one that is great greater works is geographically speaking, the extent of the works. So the second one, ethnically. So Jesus primarily dealt with Jews. So he did, there were other ethnicities there, the Samaritans and and the Romans and whatnot, but primarily speaking, he was speaking with the Jews. But us, the disciples, then went out to Jews and Gentiles, to all people groups around the world is what uh, we're focusing on doing, right? To spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. The third one, numerically. So if you read in Acts, right, the Acts of the the, the Apostles, right? So they, Jesus died on the cross, sent into heaven, the apostles then uh, ready to go out into the world. It only started with a few dozen people. But in Acts chapter 2, it says 3,000 were added to the church, added to the kingdom in one day. And then after that, more and more were added each day, right? Until 2,000 years later, here we are, right? Continuing to grow. So numerically speaking, greater number. And then spiritually. So Jesus' redeeming work on the cross far exceeds the works he did in the flesh during his ministry on earth because that made all this other stuff possible, right? Because he was able to then send the Holy Spirit to us, which we'll get to in a minute, Well, then, Jesus and his earthly ministry is in one place, right? But now, spiritually speaking, he can send his Holy Spirit to all the believers around the world and work in them and through them, comfort them, lead them, guide them, all these kinds of things, right? So that's great it works. So, remember, all these things are possible because Jesus went to the Father, right? Just like we read in the verse, because I'm going to the Father, all these are possible, All right, so transition. So many of you are probably wondering, so we just talked about works, right, or obedience. So how do we obey? That's kind of the next question. Some of you are probably wondering, well, what do I do? How do I do it? Okay, well, Jesus, you know, the disciples were asking the same question. So Jesus uh, gets there, and my mouth is very parched. Calling it what it is. So transition. So obedience is accomplished by three things. So you write these down. Prayer. Reliance on the Holy Spirit and humility. Probably wondering where I got this. So starting verse 13. So pick it back back up in the text. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So notice the word that in the sentence. It says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified, right? So he's going to do it. So that, you can think of so that, the Father will be glorified. Then it continues, if you ask anything in my name, in Jesus' name, I will do it, right? So here Jesus is saying, there's an expectation here that genuine prayer is in Christ's name. And when answered, when the prayer is answered, it will bring the Father glory, right? So it's important to understand that when he's talking about prayer because many of us, I think, when we pray... It looks more like we're praying to a santa claus in the sky or a genie than the father and the creator of the universe right there's a big difference there there's a quote by john piper that i think will be on the screen it goes like this john piper's a pastor and theologian anyway it goes like this until you believe that life is war you cannot know what prayer is for prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission it is as though a field, it is as though the field commander jesus called in the troops, gave them a uh, crucial mission, go and bear fruit, or you can say go and bear, just go and make disciples, handed each of them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished, and to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, He will always be as close as your transmitter to give tactical advice and to send in air cover when you or your comrades need it. Prayer is essential to our obedience, right? So are your prayers when you pray, are they for God's glory and the the advancement of his mission? Or is it just a wish list that you're throwing out to Santa Claus, right? So if, if you recorded your prayers actively for a week, and then gave those uh, recordings to a non-believer, just somebody random, and they listened to it, would, would they know that you're praying to the father of the universe or would it look like you're making a Christmas, a Christmas list? Because there's a big difference, right? Praying for the advancement of the mission, praying for the things in your own life, yes, that, that, that is important, of course but doing so in light of God's glory, in light of the mission. How can these things that I'm asking, asking God for, how can that advance the gospel? How can that advance my walk in the faith? How can that advance the gospel in our community, right? Those are all important. Those all need to be in light um, as we pray. So that covers prayer. So moving on. So verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So those who obey Christ, love him. We're going to come back to this. But if you do underline or highlight or anything like that, uh, you want to highlight this verse. Uh, But we will come back here. So keep going. So Holy Spirit, the second one, the second way we, uh, second component to how we obey is the Holy Spirit. And that picks up in verse 16. So verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us when we have faith in him, right? We have that saving faith. We are then adopted into the kingdom. God sends the Holy Spirit to us, right? So so when Jesus was here with the disciples, like I said, as I said before, they're really nervous because Jesus is about to leave. He's about to go die, and he's telling them, like, you can't come with me. Like, I'm going somewhere you cannot come. I'm leaving, I'm going to the Father. They're all freaked out because their friend is leaving, right? Jesus, the person he's, they've given their lives to is leaving. But, he's saying this is better because, because I'm going to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come. It will come to each of you, right? The Holy Spirit, I think we tend to neglect the Holy Spirit in this way, but the purpose is to lead, guide, teach, help, comfort, etc., etc. You, as a believer, just as Christ did in the flesh for the disciples. It's supposed to work the same way. To give you the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you if you are today a disciple. And I think many times, including me, tend to forget that. Forget the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you as we go out, as we try to obey Jesus, as we try to know, believe, and obey Jesus. So I completely lost my train of thought. I got going there. So just to be honest. Um Yep, so it's essential, okay, yeah, got it. So, hey, <laughs> brand new at this, right? So, um, it is essential to remember that we're not going out to do this on our own strength, right? We're doing it through God's strength, through the Holy Spirit. That is really important because when we do it on our own strength and try to just muscle through it, neglect prayer, neglect the Holy Spirit, then we're gonna run tired and weary because we're not getting fed, we're not getting that eternal nourishment each day, each week, right, each hour, to then continue to work, continue to obey, continue to do the things we see in Scripture. So the next one is humility. That's the third component to how we obey. So humility. So the disciples, as I've mentioned, so Jesus is telling them, like, look, somebody's going to betray us out of the 12, one of you is going to betray me, right, which is obviously is like, who is that? Like, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Like. You know, they're trying to figure out who's going to do it. Who's going to betray Jesus, right? And then and he then goes from there and says, well, also, you know, I'm leaving and you can't come with me. Right? Which is they're like, wait, what? So somebody's going to betray you and you're going away? Like, Peter's like, no, Jesus, I got this. Like, I will go wherever you go. Right? I can do it. I'll go where you go. Jesus is like, no, not only will you not go where I go, but you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And everybody's like, wait, what? Peter's going to do what now? Like, they're all out of whack. And that's why it's like, starting in, verse, or starting in chapter 14, saying, let not your hearts be troubled. He's trying to comfort them through these, this series of passages, right? They're all freaked out. They're having to humble themselves to realize that Jesus' will, not mine. The Father's will, not mine, right? They have a plan, they wanna do their thing. But Jesus is like, no, my way is better. You don't know, like, I'm the God of the universe. You are the created, right? You do not know what's happening. I do. Trust in me. Put down your pride. Put down your arrogance. Put down what you think you know. Trust in, trust in me. Trust in the Father, right? We have to humble ourselves to obey. So Christ, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to go over there really quick, and then we're going to come back. But, so Christ gave us a perfect example of obedience, His life and his ministry was a perfect example of obedience to the Father that we should model after. And we're going to see um, what Paul has to say about Christ's humility and his obedience. So, Philippians uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and, and... well, I can't say that word. Sympathy. a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So, he, so here's Jesus, right? The Son of God. He, he is God. He's in the form of, he's in the flesh here on earth, right? He humbled himself. He said, Father, your will, not mine, be done. There's things that he didn't particularly want to do, like who wants to go to the cross and, and feel the wrath of God for all the sin of all, like of the entire timeline ever be poured out on you, right? That's pretty, that's pretty scary, right? So, but he said, no, Father, your will, not my own. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that he could then go and obey his Father. We should do the same, right? So, he has the perfect example of obedience, perfect example of humility. He relied on prayer through prayer to the Father. He relied on the Spirit to give him strength, and he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. That is how Jesus obeyed, and he is our perfect example of obedience. So there are some words of caution um, here with how we obey. The first one is we tend to skip, know, and believe and go straight to obey. So as I said in the beginning, know, believe, obey is a sequential order, you're supposed to follow, you have to know something, you have to know scripture, you have to know Jesus, you have to believe that it's true, and then you have to obey, right? So what we tend to do as Americans is we're so busy, right, we have so much going on that we want to just do and do and do, and in order for you to be important in our society, you have to be busy, and you have to have a lot going on, right? Oh, I'm so busy, oh, I have all this going on, oh, I got like eight Bible studies I got to go to, et cetera, et cetera. So, that's what we tend to do. We tend to skip over know and believe and say, God, I got this. I know I'm supposed to go do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to go do it, right? Let's go. Let's go knock it out. Troll up the sleeves and start muscling through it. That's what we tend to do. We tend to skip over and not want to know and believe. Or maybe we do, but we're just like, ah, no, I, just, I just need to go do something. I need to get my hands dirty. I need to go work, right? But that takes the entire relationship out of, out of the question, out of the life of the disciple. If you skip over knowing Jesus, believing in him, and then obeying, that's, that's what we're supposed to do, right? But if we throw out knowing him, we're not getting to know him, we're not believing in him actively, we're just trusting in ourselves to then go obey and go do a checklist, there's no relationship. And that is fundamental to our life as a disciple, is to have that relationship. And so the disciples here, as I've mentioned multiple times, are very nervous and anxious, Right? In chapter fourteen. And uh, Jesus is reminding them to know and believe in him. Right? So the beginning of verse or the first paragraph in chapter fourteen is about knowing Jesus and then believing the second paragraph, and then we just read the third about obeying. Right? So Jesus is comforting them by saying, Let not your hearts be troubled in John fourteen one. Let not your hearts be troubled, and then it goes, No, believe and obey. In that order. It doesn't say start obeying me and then and then it all happened, right? Like That's not how how it works. Uh, So we must know, believe, and obey Jesus and be cautious of skipping over, knowing, believing, going straight to obeying, straight to just doing stuff, right? Even if it's good things. So the second one, second word of caution has to do more with our motives. So why do you as a disciple obey Jesus? or Why do you want to obey Jesus? So take an honest pause and think about that. Why do you, insert name, Obey Jesus. What is your motivation? Why? Why do you do it? So there's two common pitfalls that at least that I I can tell and that I've experienced uh, with this. Two common pitfalls in our motives to obey. So the first one, or they're both, it's duty is the first and debt is the second. So you write those down. Duty and debt. Two common pitfalls for why we obey. So duty. Duty comes from the idea that I'm a Christian. I know I believe in Christ. I know I should follow God's word, right? Because I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to go talk to people. I'm supposed to be in a Bible study. I'm not supposed to sin, right? I'm not supposed to go look at bad things on the internet. I'm not supposed to have sex before marriage, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? Like, I think we all kind of understand that. But, we, but when we do those things out of a sense of, well, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to do that. I have a duty as a Christian to follow this list, then there's, there's no love there, there's just, I'm just obeying and doing, right? I'm just gonna do it, it's, it's my duty, I'm supposed to, I don't want to, but I'm gonna do it anyway. It sounds kind of noble, right? Like, hey, it's my duty as a Christian to do, to go to church, or to do this or that. But think of it this way, so I'm in the Army, I'm in the National Guard, uh, I'll commission in December. So there's a lot of things I do in the Army that I don't particularly like. Like, I don't really like getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't really like getting rained on or snowed on or laying around in the dirt when it's muddy and wet. Christian's nodding his head in the back. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's not fun. I don't like freezing to death outside, right? There's things I do, but I do it because it is my duty as a soldier to do those things. I am supposed to do those things. There's a list of things I am supposed to do as a soldier. If I don't do them, I'm a bad soldier, right? Um, But... With that, right, so I go do a training event, do all these things, I come home, now there's things I expect, right? I just did the work, I did my duty, now I expect to have a paycheck, I expect my scholarship to be there, I expect to have TRICARE, I expect all these things, right? Because I earned it. Oh, I, oh boy, I earned it. Hmm. so I think we, do we not do that in our own faith too? But, but Jesus, I, I went to church, I read my Bible, I prayed, I I uh, I didn't really cuss that much. I, I didn't really sin a whole lot either. I, I tried really hard not to. I, I did all these things. I went and, you know, fed the uh, fed people and helped and served and did this and that. I did all these things. Like, then something bad goes happen, or something bad happens in your life, and then you're like, well, crap, God, why did this happen? I did all this stuff for you. Like, I earned it. Oh. Did, did you? You earned? Oh. Hmm. Well, I don't think so. So. Um, so I, the reason I bring this up is I've been in this position. I've been in this place of a sense of duty, a sense of I'm doing these things, a sense of I earned it, thinking that. So my freshman year in college, I went through this for about six or eight months, maybe longer, I don't really know. But six or eight months, I followed it. I was trying to be a good, good Christian. I was trying to follow the Bible, trying to do these things. It was all out of a sense of duty, a sense of I'm obligated as a Christian to do these things. And it got to the point where I didn't realize it at the time, and you probably don't either if you're here, But I realized it later, about a year later, when I was reflecting on that time of my life and thinking through what what was going on in my heart and looking through some things I wrote down in my uh, journal or whatever, I realized that in my heart, I never said this out loud, but in my heart I believed that because I did all these things, the insert list here that I've already mentioned, that I'd better go to heaven. Like, well, but God, I did all these things, like I should go to heaven, right? I did I followed this list. But that's, that's terribly wrong, that's, that's, that is not, not correct, right? So I learned thankfully by God's grace that November of my freshman year that I can't earn it, that God chose for the foundation of the world not because of anything good or bad that I did but because of his own sovereign will. So you can't earn it, like there's no possible way to earn your salvation in that case, right? And so that freed me of that. But it's a very dangerous path to walk down as a disciple to be obeying Jesus out of a sense of duty or a sense of moral obligation because you're a Christian. Very dangerous and it will lead you nowhere productive or nowhere good in your walk. Even if it seems noble at first, it's not. Um, And again, I don't mean to come across too terribly harsh, but I've been there myself and it is not a good place to be. So the second one is debt. Right? It's this idea that, idea that we owe God, right? that God has done so much for us, that he sent Jesus down on the cross for our sin, um, that, and all these other things, and certain lists of things that he's, God has done for you, that we now owe him our obedience. right? We owe God. Again, this sounds pretty noble, right? but it has very little, if any, biblical merit to this idea that we're supposed to obey out of a sense of debt to God. So, and Jesus doesn't say, you owe me, so obey me, right? Like, I, that's not in scripture, okay? So you owe me, you now obey me. That, that doesn't happen. So think of it this way. So let's say I go to Chick-fil-A and uh, I go with Matthew or somebody and he buys me lunch, right? It's a nice gesture, he buys me lunch. I'm thankful for that. I have gratitude towards that gesture that he bought me lunch. But naturally, in the world that we live in, I'm going to feel in debt to Matthew, right? He bought me lunch, now it's like, Okay, like, thank you, like, I genuinely appreciate it, but at the same time, it then turns to, well, now next time we got to eat, I feel obligated, I feel like I owe him lunch, right? I should buy him lunch again and pay him back. Um, so, and, and then, if, say, I do do that, I do buy him lunch, and then he does it again, then the cycle repeats. Okay, but now think of it from the standpoint of a debt that you can never pay off, right? Because what Jesus did on the cross for our sin, we can't ever pay that debt off. So if we come, come to obedience with this idea of, I'm going to obey because I owe God, then everything we do is going to be, we're working towards paying the debt off. We may understand and very well know that we can't pay it off, but somewhere in our mind we think, oh, I'm going to do these things and try and make the debt smaller, right? And that becomes our motive, motive for obedience, but what happens is, is you look like a hamster on one of those uh, spinning treadmill things, right? You know, it, it runs, it, it goes nowhere really fast, and you get worn out. But you literally go nowhere. You're just running in, in a little circle, right? You ever watch one of those hamsters spin on, spin on one of those wheels? Right, so just, just imagine that. That is you trying to pay off your debt to Jesus, if that is your motive for paying off that debt. Because you're never going to pay it off. That hamster is never going to make it off that wheel if it keeps going faster and faster. That is us. You're just gonna wear yourself out. So both of the, so here's a, here's a, both of these motives, right? Duty and debt, obeying out of both, of either one of those or both, or bo- both of those are rooted in a form of legalism, right? Legalistic tendency. So I have a quote by Tony Merida. He's a pastor in North Carolina and professor at Southeastern. He has, says this, the difference between legalism and spiritual discipline is one of motive. We practice the disciplines because we, love, because we love the one who first loved us. These disciplines are the means of grace by which we know our Savior better. Spiritual discipline, then, is motivated by delight, not duty. Does anybody catch that? So spiritual disciplines, you can think of, you know, reading a word. We went through the all summer of spiritual disciplines, right? So think of that as obedience in this case. And he says, he hits the point which we're about to talk about. We practice these, the disciplines because we, love, because we love the one who first loved us, right? Our motives matter for our obedience. Why we do what we do matters. Another point to make with legalism, so if you do it out of a sense of duty, if, if you're in that category, odds are that you're thinking more of, you're taking kind of a moral high road, right? You're, you're doing all these things. I'm checking off the boxes, so I have a well. I'm I'm doing pretty good, right? That's probably kind of the line and area that you're you fall into. is what you're thinking. The person who then steps over here and is in the debt category, right? You're, motiv- you're motivated to obey out of a sense of debt. You have it's the same form, but you're taking it from the standpoint of well, I know I can't pay off this debt, but I'm going to keep trying. So. It's like a spectrum, right? Both are legalism, but it's just two different types. It's two different perspectives of how you look at your walk, how you look at your motives for obedience. So, so why should we obey Jesus? What is, what is the answer? Look back at verse 15 in our text. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It doesn't say it is your duty to keep my commandments. It doesn't say you owe me, do keep my commandments, right? Like it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So our obedience should come from an overflow of our love for God. That should be our motive for obedience, is our love for God and our love for one another, right? So look a little further down in uh, John 14 at uh, verse 30, or read 30 and 31. As is again, still Jesus talking. I will no longer t- talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that, catch that, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Do I catch time to read that last one again? But I, but I do, I obey, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that, so the reason, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Right, So Christ's obedience, his life, is showing, is displaying his love for God so that the world may know that I love the Father. That was his reason for obedience, his love for the Father and his love for us, his love for one another, love for his people. That was his motives to obey. The same should be true for us as well. So uh, move over to John 15, starting verse 12. So it's really close to where we already are. Verse 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus here right he he's about to go lay down his life for his friends. He is about to go to the cross. He is very very close at this point in in the gospel. And he's saying that there, there that someone lay down Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, right? So he is displaying his love for his disciples, for God, as he then goes to the cross to take the wrath of God for all of our sin, to make a way for us to be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him, right? That's pretty, that's pretty heavy stuff, but that is his reason, that is his motives, it's his love for the Father and his love for us. And he's modeling that for us to then follow, right? For our obedience to be out of a sense of love for God because he first loved us, and out of a sense for love for one another. So as we close, our motivation for obedience, it, it matters. Why we obey, why we know Jesus throughout all of no believe, and obey, no, throughout the, a disciple's life, our love for God should permeate all the way through. Our motives matter. So, a disciple is someone who knows, believes, and obeys Jesus. Right? So, I think it's going to be on the screen. To sum up, know, believe, and obey. When you know, so know, when you, I can't speak, sorry. When you are equipped to know that Jesus is everything, you live gospel-centered. When you are equipped to believe your story matters, you live in community and when you are equipped to obey that people matter, you live on mission, right? So you believe people matter, you live on mission. So to sum up, no, believe and obey. So we're about to go in time of communion, take communion every week. So here's the first opportunity to go and obey, right? Jesus commanded us to take communion as believers, as disciples, um, so as you take the bread right, that represents Christ's body, dip it into the juice that represents Christ's blood, we're taking it in remembrance of him and what he has done for us on the cross. So in that we're, we're going through know, believe, and obey, right? We're knowing what Jesus did. We're believing that it's true, and then we're obeying by physically doing it and praying in remembrance of him. And out of that remembrance of him and acknowledging him, right, our motives is then love. It's love for him. Recognizing that. So, let us pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Uh, Father, thank you for all of us in here. And uh, Father, I just pray that you will help us um, just know, believe, and obey you as disciples. And Father, I pray that if there's people in here that don't know, believe, and obey you, I pray that they will, and that you will open up their eyes to see you and see your glory. Um, and, Father, I just pray that you will help us know that as we go out, our motives matter. And that as we go out to know, believe, and obey you today and each week, each hour, that our motives to do so will be out of a sense of love for you and a love for one another because this is key to our walk. And Father, I just pray that you'll be glorified today and this week. I pray that we will just continue to worship you wholeheartedly. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody in here struggling, that they will just go and talk to, to, uh, to Rob or Jeremy or one of the other elders in the back at the communion table. Um, or talk to me. I'll be in the back as well. But, Father, I just pray that again you will move in this place, that you will help us know, believe, and obey you each day, recognizing how essential that is to our life. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.